For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It is Monday, August 21st. In politics, they talk about the October surprise, the last minute news that upends a campaign. In the media and entertainment business, there's something that I've always called the September surprise. It's very different. Usually a major move, whether it's buying or selling a company, firing a longtime executive, bringing in a huge hire that shocks the town. It sounds cliche, but these things often happen in September in part because they're discussed and decided and negotiated over these dog days of summer when people aren't paying attention, when it's quiet, maybe on the vineyard, at the Montauk house, the Aspen property, or even, yes, a yacht. A couple years ago, Paramount owner Sherry Redstone decided around this time to fire her longtime studio head, Jim Giannopoulos, and replace him with a kid's TV executive, Brian Robbins. Boom, a September surprise. Same thing happened at Universal about a decade ago. I remember this. I was at the party where this happened. The Roberts family decided at the ranch to replace their studio head, Adam Fogelson, then had Ron Meyer call him out of a Toronto party and fire him. There's been deals, stuff that has percolated and finally come to a head. And the question is, will there be a September surprise this year? I don't know the answer, but it's been pretty quiet out there lately. Everyone in town seems to be focused on the strike. There's actually a backlog of announcements of projects and deals that people are afraid to announce during the strikes, so there'll probably be a big rush whenever there is a deal. So today we've got Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg in here. We're going to make some predictions or quasi-predictions or discuss some topics of what the September surprises may be and maybe what they should be. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw. Lucas, I know you don't listen to the show, but Craig and I discussed the Netflix Bites pop-up restaurant last week. I know you're a food guy. Are you jealous? A little bit. It was pretty good. Craig and I gave our reviews. Uh, I've been I've been meaning to go. I still haven't made it, but maybe I will soon enough. Unfortunately, there are no gourmet cheeseburgers on the menu. I'm sad for Bella Bajaria. There is Chardonnay, though. Uh, but all right, so you and I, for this episode, are putting on our yacht attire. I've got my captain's hat, my nautical attire. I'm here with David Geffen. Have you applied sunscreen? Very I have. I'm here with David Geffen, Jeff Bezos, and Lauren Sanchez. I'm actually having a large bust of you made for this occasion for my yacht. We actually, Jesse, producer Craig's out today. Jesse, could you cue up a little bit of yacht rock for us? that. Uh, hopefully, Michael McDonald will not sue us. We are going to have some yacht talk and try to predict a September surprise. 
And this could be anything. This could be something that's been percolating that we think something, you know, they'll finally pull the trigger on. This could be something out of the blue. It could be an executive replacement. It could be any number of things. I've got a couple of predictions. You've got a couple. And we will pretend we're on our yachts having conversations about how to shake up the media and entertainment industry. So you get to go first with your first September surprise prediction from our yacht. I mean, this might strike some as obvious. I think at least one of the strikes gets resolved in September. Oh, wait, you're saying the September surprise is the strike ending? You want a big surprise? Wait, I, I don't we, I guess we that talked would be about a surprise. This. The one you're throwing at me, I don't think it, I would qualify as a surprise either. But sure, yes. I predicted at the outset that it would be October. I'm giving you the win. You said September. Oh, okay. I'll take that. I will take that because I did say this will be resolved mid-September, mid to late September, around the time that the Emmys were supposed to be. Um, now, obviously, that doesn't mean the entire industry would go back to work. In September, I mean, the weeks-long ratification process and all of the logistics that would have to be resolved. Still, production is looking at a start towards the end of the year, even if they do get a deal in the next few weeks. But you're going to say the September surprise is the strike ending. There had been this growing fear, I feel like, a couple of weeks ago that people were starting to talk about this going into 24 or Thanksgiving, whatever it is. And I think there has been reasonable momentum to get a deal done. And you think that's just because the CEOs have started to give a little and they're not talking on either side. And the fact that this rumor went around on Friday that seemed unfounded that there was a deal. It's getting closer. It is getting closer because the the top leadership at all the companies are taking it more seriously. I do think that silence matters. People who had historically been willing to to talk about things have gotten a little quieter over the last couple of weeks and you see it across i'd say a lot of the a, a lot of the reporting and i just feel like the writers are seeing and i don't want to speak for them but based on what the studios have offered that the studios are going to make some fairly substantial compromises and so it's it's just a question of sort of how far they can get there. There's still a couple of thorny issues, which which you've written about that are more structural than just like, give me a raise that they like have the to transparency out. and the success metric. Well, more, I'd say more the transparency, I think we've mostly resolved, but it's whether the transparency leads to being paid it for viewership um, mm-hmm. that I, I think is, is still an issue or like the minimum number of writers yeah. in a room is still an issue. I still think they drop that. I think that is the big compromise. They they do a compromise on the writer's room and they're then they're able to get some wins elsewhere. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because ultimately that should be the showrunner's decision anyways. But I have argued that and I have incurred the ire of many, many WGA members for saying that, but I do think it makes the most sense. Yeah. All right. I will go with my first prediction, uh, my, my, my September surprise. And I have teased at this in my puck newsletter, but I think that despite Paramount Global calling off the sale of BET or a stake in BET, I think there will be a deal and Tyler Perry will be the new either minority or majority owner of BET. So why are you convinced, despite the fact that th- that they've basically said we're not doing this anymore? That there was Well, they couldn't get the valuation they wanted. That's why they said they're walking away. They wanted the three, $3 billion valuation on, on the asset. Couldn't get that. So they're like, okay, we're taking our tools and going home. I think that it's gotten to the point, it's bad, where they need some kind of deal. 
They need some kind of you know money coming in. This, this is the thing. This asset is not going to ever increase in value. These television assets are only going to go down in value. Maybe the ad market returns long term. It's either now or you get a worse and worse and worse price. Tyler Perry knows this. He's a very sophisticated guy. He's got very sophisticated people behind him. A deal makes sense here. And bringing in some money for Paramount Global for this asset, it is better in the hands of Tyler Perry. There are things that a Black-owned business can take advantage of in the ad market. There are earmarks for minority-owned businesses that BET is not taking advantage of now because it is owned by a corporate entity, Paramount Global. Tyler Perry can extract better economics out of this asset, and he's got production as well. He can make money off this as a buyer and a seller. He already owns a piece of the business. It just makes sense that he would be the buyer for this. All those other bidders, that's the problem. They had all these other bidders for BET, and none of them really made a ton of sense. They hoped to get a bidding war going. It didn't happen. Those other bidders have fallen away, and they I know they're still talking. So I think it's only a matter of time, and this will heat up, and they will have a deal. All your logic around Tyler Perry makes sense. I mean, I've definitely heard the argument that it would do better with a Black owner. I'm sure that that is true. I also don't think that's why Paramount is selling it. Paramount is selling it because they need the money. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, they're not, this is not an altruistic company. The real (laughs) question here is does Paramount get comfortable with the idea of selling it for $2 billion? instead of $3 billion or whatever the price ends up being. Get comfortable because in five years, it'll be $1 billion. <laughs> Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But they, you know, they could also argue that they should sell it as part of the whole thing. But yes, that makes some sense to me. I don't know that that's going to happen in September. All right, back to you. We're now uh, to Mai Tais in, by the way, on our yacht. Our, our I'm more of a yacht. pina colada guy than a Mai Tai guy. You've got a pina colada. I used to like them, but they're like 5,000 calories and I can't do that anymore. Yeah, well, but when you're on a yacht, uh, I'm trying to decide which of two deals I want to talk about. And you'll probably poo-poo me on either one. You're not allowed to say the word poo-poo. You sound 80 years old. I, that is, <laughs> let's come up with something. Else. I will shoot down. You'll, you, will, you, will, you will drag me. Yes, for, I, will dra- I will drag you. Let's make it more useful then. I'll give you two options. And then I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So the two other looming deals are that are sort of obvious. Are Disney selling a piece of ESPN? Sure. And CAA closing its sale to the Frenchman? Yep. I'm going to go ESPN only because I don't think it's going to happen in September, by the way. The CAA one, I think, probably will happen in September. So yeah, that's but of, that's not a surprise. I mean, that's right, a matter that's of like due diligence. That's the obvious one. So yeah. I will go with, they will find a, a couple of big deals to do with ESPN. And then I want to follow that up with a question for you, which maybe you've just teased your answer which is between CAA, BET, and an ESPN stake sale, what do you think is most likely to be done? I think that the CAA thing is almost done. So that'll be the one that gets announced probably after Labor Day. The question on the CAA deal is what the valuation is, because you and me and others have reported that CAA wants a $7 billion valuation on that asset. Most people that I have talked to say it is probably not worth $7 billion. I've heard that in the CAA TPG conversation, just for those who don't know, CAA is majority owned by a private equity fund called TPG, which incidentally is also a backer of my company, Puck, 
disclosure there. Matt's just got conflicts of interest all over the place. I, I He's do. represented by WME. He's got no. I'm not from... represented by WME. The the brand is. I do not have an agent. <laughs> FYI, TPG would like to sell its stake in CAA. It has been negotiating for the past few months, and from what everything I've heard is that the valuation is the key here. The CAA partners want a gigantic seven billion dollar valuation. And TPG is like more in the five, six range. And it doesn't help that since they started talking a year ago or whenever, the general malaise in the market has brought down a ton of valuations. So are they going to get it? That's the big question. The September surprise will not be the deal. It will be the number. On the BET front, I think, yeah, I think it'll eventually happen. Will it happen in September? I don't know. I'm just saying that I think it's the conversations are happening now. I know they have bankers and lawyers that are working on it. So that's why I think September is a good chance. The ESPN thing, I think that's going to drag on for a while. I mean, that is such a company-defining deal, what Iger gets out of ESPN, that I don't see that being resolved in a month or two. I think that'll drag into the fall and winter. Yeah, but I also think that there are versions of it that are not as complicated as we think. Because if you believe that they're going to do a deal with a distributor like a Verizon or an Apple or an Amazon, as has been reported. Like, that doesn't have to involve equity. Yeah, but that's not what Iger wants. He doesn't want, like, a deal to sponsor their app or whatever. No, but it seems like when it comes to ESPN, mm-hmm. he is less interested in money and more getting the support to make the standalone service work. And so if that means getting a distribution partner at launch like they had with Disney Plus, that actually does matter quite a bit. And if that means getting some kind of extra programming, which is where I think the league comes in, that makes it more worthwhile to at least a certain segment of the population, that helps too. Obviously, he'd love for someone to take a a 20% stake or whatever and pay him billions of dollars. Yeah, that considering the economics of the company right now, and he's got a $10 billion or $15 billion check to write in the next year for Hulu. I think that would probably help a lot. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, Visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. All right, next one. This one's a little bit in the weeds because it's it's sort of an executive shakeup. But at the Universal Film Studio, um, the leader of the Universal Studio, Donna Langley, got a promotion recently, and she is now over film and television within NBC Universal. 
reporting to the chairman or the interim chairman of NBC Universal, Mike Cavanaugh. That leaves her old job open. The person to run the studio, the traditional studio head of Universal Pictures. And there's a bunch of different possibilities and ways that Universal could go. I actually think the September surprise is going to be that there will not be a specific person replacing Donna Langley at Universal. I think they are going to elevate all of her reports. And someone like Peter Kramer, who's currently the president of Universal, he will get more responsibility. And I think Chris Melodondri at, Uni- at Illumination and Margie Cohn at DreamWorks, Peter Kajowski at Focus, they will all get elevated titles and they are the they run their little their they run their fiefdoms. I think they will all get more responsibility and there will not be a traditional studio head at Universal. That's an interesting one. But to me, the the one I'm most fascinated by, same company, same questions raised by Donna's promotion is the job of programming those different networks and streaming services at the company is now like shared between Donna Langley and Mark Lazarus, who mm-hmm. oversees distribution and advertising sales and all these things. And there's this executive, Francis Berwick, who's like has a dual report to both of them. Yeah. And it's the most confusing thing at the whole company. Because one of the problems that they had is that nobody knew who owned programming or it didn't seem clear who owned programming for Peacock because you had different constituencies fighting over different things. Yeah. And they still haven't resolved that. Uh, I think they kind of have creatively. I think it's Donna's show creatively. Mark Lazarus, I think, is the business side executive, the way I understand the structure. And Donna runs the creative for show picking and renewals and such things like that. I think that is what is going to be. But technically, the person in charge of that reports to both of them. I think the thing that they wanted resolved was that the film and TV groups didn't seem to work together as much as at some other places. And they wanted someone to be able to say, let's do a Fast and Furious TV show and let's make it happen. And Donna Langley is that person. I have a different, two different executive questions, I guess. Mm -hmm. One, who do you think is the executive most likely to leave or get fired in the next few months? Oh, good question. Well, I think if you pulled the town, so to speak, you would probably get Jennifer Salky at Amazon Studios, right? We know that she and her boss, Mike Hopkins, are under scrutiny from the CEO, who you've reported that he is now more interested in the spending at Amazon Studios. They just did a cancellation of a couple of shows that had previously been greenlit, The Peripheral and A League of Their Own. Um, There has been questions about what the movie strategy is going to be under her. So the noise around town would suggest Salky. However, she has been a survivor at this company and Amazon does not operate like most Hollywood companies. They have a very specific culture. It goes all the way to Seattle. And she has proven herself to be very adept at operating within that culture. So I actually don't think it will be Jen Salky. Um, If I had to guess, it's someone who would leave. Can I throw out a, a category? Sure. Why do we think there hasn't been any kind of major creative change at Disney, considering the problems that they've had over the last 12 months? I think that's a good question. You know, my my position on Kathy Kennedy at Lucasfilm (laughs) is pretty well known. And uh, you're a big fan. You think that they should give her more responsibility. She is a legend in producing. I will just leave it at that. She is a legendary producer and her CV will go up against 
the all-time great producers. Lucasfilm, the output, not so much, in my opinion. But uh, she did just sell her Malibu beach house, I noticed. Or no, it's on the market. So I thought maybe that might indicate a change in her life. But I am told by Disney not to read too much into that. So I would not be surprised if there is a change at Lucasfilm soon. But anytime you make a change, you, all, you always have to ask, okay, so who? Who do they bring in? You know, and there are a number of people in the Lucas orbit. You know, Dave Filoni comes to mind. But elsewhere at Disney, what do you think? They're going to fire the head of Pixar? The head of Pixar, Pete Docter, is like a beloved person at Pixar. Well, they also changed, the leadership there has changed fairly recently because of Lassiter. So that feels, it takes so long to get new projects developed, even though Pixar has not had a great run of late. Although Elemental is performing, especially overseas. Uh, the yeah, long tail had, on that It one, had legs. It did. And I don't think that, like, the problems at Pixar are more industry-specific. They're doing what they've always done. It's the industry that changed, not the creative output of Pixar. It's not like people can go and look at the Pixar movies and say, these are terrible movies. Like, they're still good movies. I, I mean, Elemental probably should have been a little bit more of a crowd pleaser in this environment. But that's a nitpick. The movies are fine. Disney animation, like the fact that Strange World happened, I don't you need to go and look at Strange World as a example of everything that could go wrong on an animated movie that costs 200 million dollars. It just is a it is a colossal whiff. And that's where it starts to I you do start to question the leadership there. Jennifer Lee is a very well-known filmmaker. She did the Frozen movies. But I could perhaps see some some change going on there. And then the other ones, you know, Sean Bailey is doing what Iger told him to do, which is remake the hits. And they are doing it with proficiency. So it's not, you know, this is these are strategic changes. If Iger's well, that gonna... is the, the, the argument to why there wouldn't be a creative change is that one of the issues is that they started making just too much of all this stuff. And they saturated the market. That's not a problem of the executives. That is a you know, strategic it's a strategy. problem. Well, it is a problem of the executives. That is a problem of the executives who've already been fired. So, yeah. And honestly, like if, if Iger wants to change the direction of the Disney live action studio, that is going to be a much larger conversation. And frankly, Sean Bailey could probably make those movies. He's a very talented producer, and he's making these movies like Snow White and you know the Moana remake he's doing these movies because that is what disney does okay so you don't you you're you're out on creative changes at disney you're other than other than lucasfilm gotta, which i think is long overdue yeah and maybe disney animation okay all right last one for the september surprises and i'm gonna look at these release dates and i think the september surprise is that we're gonna start to see at least one movie get moved. Um, I think it's actually going to be a March movie that gets moved. And we're going to see several other very tough decisions have to be made on these big fall, November, December movies like Hunger Games, like Marvels, like Dune 2, that the studios are really going to have to decide whether it's worth it to release these movies without stars promoting or just barrel right into it. Lucas, are you aware of this movie? You, have you been following the Snow White discourse? I'm, I'm tuned out on the Snow White discourse. <laughs> what have I missed? It's, it's quite a rabbit hole if you go down the Snow White discourse. I, I don't recommend it. The original movie director's son has recently weighed in. He's 91 years old. He gave an interview to The Guardian where he said that Walt and his father would be rolling in their graves about a 
Puerto Rican Snow White. Rachel Zegler is Puerto Rican. And the dwarves in the movie are now like mystical helpers. They're like not dwarves. Or maybe they are dwarves. We don't know yet. There's been no materials put out. There was a paparazzi shot that was in the Daily Mail that looked like a collection of merry helpers. And Disney's kind of caught in a weird spot because obviously Peter Dinklage and others have said it is not appropriate to have Snow White with dwarves in this day and age. I don't even think you're supposed to use that term. It's little people. So Disney is not leaning into that element. And yet you've got traditionalists. This is the original Walt Disney animated feature. Traditionalists want to see a traditional Snow White. So they're stuck in this kind of culture war hell that they've been in on a couple of movies now, Little Mermaid and and Lightyear. And I think they're going to push the Snow White movie off of its date in March. Maybe Marvel's goes there. Maybe Marvel's, which is scheduled for November, will push to March. I don't know about that. I think it's a question as to whether they need Brie Larson and Sam Jackson to promote Marvel's. What do you think there? Well, I'll just say on the the first point, if this strike doesn't get resolved in the next month there are going to be a lot of movies due for release next year that won't be finished but they're running out of time to move the movies that are later this year because you're starting to see the trailers in the theaters you know i've seen i mean the marvel's already got pushed one so I've, I've seen it a few times but dune all these other movies they're you know they basically have like two to four weeks to decide at this point if they want to move it or not do you think that because already we're seeing in some coverage and to some extent on social, like the movies that haven't done so well the last couple of weeks, that they're blaming that the cast is not there to promote it. Yeah. And I got to admit, I'm skeptical of this narrative. I think it matters a little bit. Yeah. And I think that they are blaming it a little bit. I mean, if you talk to Paramount people after Ninja Turtles, they're like, yeah, the movie did fine. We probably lost five to 10 percent based on the fact that we couldn't have Seth Rogen out there doing the roadshow to tell everybody that this is a cool, hip Ninja Turtles, not your father's Ninja Turtles. And I think Strays this past weekend probably did take a hit because they had a huge voice cast in that movie. It wasn't just Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx. They had a bunch of other people in the movie that weren't available to promote. And the reason that you have stars in secondary voice roles in a movie is so that they can promote. And, you know, I don't think Strays would have lit the box office on fire even with that, but it would have probably made a difference. And I think that's the calculus that these studios are going through right now. Equalizer 3 is the big Labor Day weekend movie, and they made a calculus that, you know, Denzel had banked some stuff before, and you kind of don't need Denzel out there stumping for people to know that this is a Denzel franchise, and he's in it, and you want to see it because of Denzel. The awareness is already there. Is the awareness there? I, I'm amazed that there's an Equalizer 3. Oh, really? The other yeah. two have done well. Like, he is just as bankable as any of these other big stars. Like, Denzel puts butts in seats. Yeah. But the question is, does Denzel doing his requisite Tonight Show appearance or a random podcast where he says nothing or a New York Times interview, like, do they need that in order to open Equalizer 3? I don't think so. I think it's sort of pre-branded and you know what it is and you know he's in it. Marvel's 2 is, for some reason to me, seems like a little bit of a sell. In this environment where the superhero movies are underperforming unless you can show that it's different and fresh and new, I feel like you kind of do need people out there telling people that. This is ultimately comes down to cost. Mm -hmm. Marvel's is going to make 
two, three, four times more money than Equalizer 3. It just also costs two, three, four times more money than Equalizer yeah. 3. But if, if you're Disney, you have to calculate in the stink on a movie after delaying it twice. And that is a problem if this movie keeps getting booted down the road. Uh, maybe they feel like they can go in early November. The runway will be a little clearer because maybe some of these other movies bow out. Same with the Hunger Games remake. No, it's not a remake. It's a prequel. It is a reboot of a franchise. And you sort of have to sell this new cast and who the people are. <laughs> Again, it's Rachel Zegler, our favorite. But there's a bunch you of young... against her? I, nothing. I like Rachel. We gotta Zegler. send you. We gotta send you to Puerto Rico. No, no, no. I uh, please. You gotta have I some am pro. I am pro Rachel Zegler. I was only noting that she has become involved in this culture war stuff with Snow White, Hunger Games. She is the star with many different other young stars, and they sort of need to reintroduce the Hunger Games franchise with this new cast. And it's very difficult to do that if you don't have access to the cast. So I can see that movie pushing if we get into September, October, and there is no resolution here, which is a problem for Lionsgate, which would very much like to sell itself and is splitting off the studio from the streamer at the end of the year. And they're stuck in a, a tough spot because they have this huge franchise movie they're betting on to juice their valuation. So that's a separate thing. I just think that Marvel's is the interesting one to watch because, yes, it's Marvel and those movies kind of sell themselves. But in this environment, where superhero movies kind of are underperforming unless you can show that it's fresh and different. It's hard to do that without the stars. Yeah, not that this is the, the best way to measure anything, but the audience reaction when I've been in the theater for trailers for both Marvels and the new Hunger Games has not been stellar. Oh, was there booing? Not booing. I'd say audible groaning. Groaning. <laughs> Snickering. <laughs> groaning, yeah. I mean, it, listen, the fatigue is real. So they got to show that this is different and it's tough. You know, they're not going to get anywhere near a billion dollars. The first Captain Marvel did a billion something. And, you know, that was yeah, sort of huge. riding. Brie Larson became one of the biggest stars in the world. Yes. She was in, got ended up in every commercial you've ever seen. <laughs> yes. She prom must promote seven different cars. No, it's all one car. It's just seven commercials for one car. All right. Give me your prediction. Do Marvel's Hunger Games and Dune 2 get pushed? I think they keep marvels mm -hmm. unless you're right and they end up pushing snow white that makes a lot of sense i don't think lionsgate can afford to to push hunger games and i don't think the talent will matter quite as much on that because to your point they're not that well known so having them not be able to promote it i just don't think it's gonna be a huge issue hmm. dune is the tricky one because i just i do think that that movie would really benefit from tim chalamet and zendaya being out there and the first one was sort of also part of a an experiment because it was part of yeah. the... It was the, day and date. Yeah. But it did okay in theaters and like got Oscar nominations. So I don't know. I'm going to say this is not a, a full-throated prediction. I'm going to say that they all stay. I think Snow White will move, but that's a production issue. That's not a promotion issue. I think I agree. I think they end up looking at it and saying, we can make enough money. We need the money. You know, the movies will do well enough. And maybe if the strike gets resolved by late September or whatever, those people can go back out there, especially yeah. for December. Wonka. That's the other one. They should just tax credit it. <laughs> we tried. Chalamet is no uh, is no Willy Wonka. And we tried and that's it. But all right, Lucas, thanks for coming on.
Thanks, man. All right, that's the show. No call sheet today. We basically did all predictions. So no call sheet today. I want to thank our editor, Jesse Lopez. No Craig today. Thank our guest, Lucas Shaw. And I want to thank you. We will see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.